scripture reading this evening will be from John 15, verses 1 through 11. John 15, 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch, and is withered. And they gather them, and throw them into the fire, that they are, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what... You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Appreciate scripture reading this afternoon from Gospel of John. I think we have heard those words several times now already today uh, because we sang those words, most of those words, just a, a little bit ago. Appreciate Kyle and leading that song at the beginning of our service. In the Gospel of John, the 15th chapter is where we are going to be studying tonight. And so if you will be turning there, We'll be looking at that text in just a few moments. We are certainly glad that you are with us this afternoon. We're thankful for another opportunity to assemble with brothers and sisters of like precious faith to see each other and encourage each other and to study from the Word of God. In the Gospel of John, in this section of the Gospel of John in particular, from chapter 13 through chapter 17, Jesus is spending time with his disciples. It is the night that he is to be betrayed by Judas. And he is going to then go to the cross. And so he is preparing his disciples for his imminent death and departure. But he time and time again repeats this idea that he is not going to leave them alone. He's not going to leave them by themselves a couple of times in John chapter 14, just the chapter before in verses 16 and 26, he reiterates that idea that he is going to send the Helper, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth is going to come. He is going to bring comfort. He's going to bring help. He's going to be an aid to you, to the apostles, to bring to remembrance Jesus' words. And Jesus spoke about Himself with His disciples after they begin the journey to the Garden of Gethsemane at the end of chapter 14, they come through what I imagine is that garden and He begins speaking about vines and branches. Jesus never missed an occasion to draw spiritual lessons from the day-to-day -day surroundings that He would see. And so in chapter 15 and verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. 
And so he speaks about his role, the Father's role, and the role of the disciples. This is something that I believe has some bearing in, in a very specific application to the apostles, but also beyond just the apostles, to every disciple. Jesus would say, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. And so Jesus obviously has in mind every branch that would become a partaker with Him and in Him. And you can see that Jesus is not just giving a horticultural lesson. He is giving a lesson about being a disciple of His. In verse 6, Jesus says, If anyone does not abide in Me, he is thrown away as a, as a branch. And comparing this to a branch. And so He is saying that anyone who is a disciple, a follower of Christ, is like this branch that must be connected to the vine to have life. Again, in verse 8, He says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be My disciples. And so what Jesus is really doing here in this chapter, in these opening verses of chapter 15, is giving a lesson on discipleship. What it means to be a disciple. And the Father is the vine dresser. He is the divine vine dresser. He cultivates, He prunes, He takes care of the vine and the branches. And if there are bad branches that quit bearing fruit, He cuts it away from the vine and throws it into the fire. Jesus is very clear about that. That a vine or a branch that quits bearing fruit, He's going to prune it. He's going to cut it off the vine and cast it into the fire. And in Jesus' teachings from John 15, the doctrine of once saved, always saved is destroyed. Jesus affirms that not only can you be connected to the vine and then later pruned, you can be a disciple of Jesus who quits serving God and then be cast into eternal fire. So how do we avoid that fate? I think that's some of the questions that we need to ask from this text. How can we avoid that kind of fate? How can we be a disciple that bears fruit for God and for the Lord. And so that's what I want us to examine this afternoon as we study from John chapter 15. But what I think is important for us also is to just acknowledge Jesus and His role as the Master Teacher. As He is traveling with His disciples on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, he is with them and He is taking time to teach them, to provide comfort for them, but to also give them insight into what it is to be a true disciple. Jesus opens with this affirmation that He is the true vine. And what Jesus is doing, He is drawing upon an Old Testament text that would have been very familiar with the Jews and hopefully the apostles themselves. These were passages of Scripture that his audiences would have been familiar with. In the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 5, in the first seven verses there, uh, Isaiah opens with this scathing rebuke of Israel and how they are like this vineyard who has quit bearing fruit and who has become useless to God. And because of that, the vineyard is going to be destroyed. 
Or in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 80, the 80th Psalm, the author there, he writes in verses 8 through 13, comparing Israel to a vineyard. He says, You removed the vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground before it, and it took deep root and filled the land. And you can continue reading there in Psalm 80 about this comparison how Israel was brought out of Egypt and was like this vine, this vineyard that God was going to cultivate and bring as His vineyard. Jesus is drawing upon the same imagery that is found in the Old Testament, only He is applying it to Himself. He is the true Israel. He is the true one that we are to believe in. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. And so He is drawing upon these passages of Scripture that would have been familiar to them, he, what they already knew. And then we see Jesus also using another very effective tool, a figure of speech. This is something that Jesus uses in... Uh, it's very common in Jesus' teachings, but it is very clear in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 10 and in verse 6, the Apostle writes here in John chapter 10 and verse 6, this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them. Jesus spoke in figurative language, figures of speech, and using what we would call a metaphor. And this is just a few of, of them that are in the Gospel of John. There are several in the Gospel of John. I am the true vine. That is the one that we're looking at tonight. Or in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Or John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. And then just a couple of verses earlier, he says, I am the door. Jesus certainly mixed his metaphors a little bit. And so he can do that uh, from time to time. Jesus says in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. And all of these ideas are to convey a spiritual truth about who Jesus is and the benefits that we gain from that. Another figure of speech that I believe is used here in John chapter 15 is what you might call a synecdoche. And if you want to practice saying that ten times fast, you go at it. A synecdoche. And it is a figure of speech in which you can use a part for the whole. If I were to see you drive up and I said, wow, you have a nice set of wheels. I'm not talking about just your wheels, am I? I'm talking about your car. That's a synecdoche. That's a part of the car for the whole thing. Jesus uses this in Matthew chapter 6 and in verse 11. In what is the prayer that Jesus teaches His disciples to, that where He prays for this daily bread. Well, He's not talking only about bread, but that any food that you are eating on a daily basis, bread is just representative of the whole of your food. In John chapter 15 and in verse 9, we'll talk about it later, but that is another place where Jesus uses this. Talk about that in, as we get to it. Another way you might illustrate this is uh, this idea of a synecdoche. I think it's something that 
is important that we establish very firmly in our minds what this is. As I use that illustration about that's a nice set of wheels, I might say Kansas City won by three touchdowns last week. I'm talking about the Kansas City Chiefs, their football team, not the actual city scoring three touchdowns. Had to throw that one in there. So Jesus is a master teacher because He uses figures of speech, things that help reiterate spiritual truths that might be very difficult to comprehend, but very important that we grasp these understandings. And so, Jesus, He uses metaphors effectively. He uses synecdoche. He uses these things to help drive home particular points of emphasis that He wants us to understand. And so this afternoon, I want us to just appreciate what Jesus is doing as He says some of these things. And He first tells disciples that if you are going to be a faithful disciple, then you must be cleansed by His Word. He says in John chapter 15 and in verse 3, as He is speaking to His disciples, you are already clean because word which I have spoken to you. That disciples are cleansed by Jesus' words. Earlier in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 8, Jesus talked about the importance of His words and the benefit of His word. In John chapter 8 and in verse 31, it says there, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed Him, if you continue in My word then you are truly disciples of Mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. That there is true freedom found in Jesus' words. And they begin to say, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is that that you say you will be free? Jesus, He gives freedom from sin. He gives us true freedom. And it's found in being committed to His words. The idea that Jesus is trying to convey whenever He says, you are already clean. You know, that might seem a bit odd here in a, a teaching about vines and branches. Why would He use the word clean? It's kind of like the word clear. The word is very common in the Greek in that if you have a track of land that has a lot of overgrown brush, you would clear out the land with a brush hog or some other kind of equipment. You would clear it. You would cleanse the land. The apostles had been cleansed by Jesus' words and all disciples have to be cleansed by Jesus' words. Jesus had demonstrated the importance of the apostles being cleansed whenever He washed their feet in John the 13th chapter, just earlier that night before He was to be betrayed, He spent time with His disciples and washed their feet. You'll remember in John chapter 13 and in verse 5, as He is beginning to wash their feet, you remember Peter and He says, Lord, do You wash my feet? Like, Jesus, this is beneath You. Don't do this. Peter thinks he's being really humble right here, doesn't he? Like, like, Jesus, you don't need to be doing this. You need to let me do this. And Jesus said to him in verse 7, 
What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And then you get a whole different attitude from Peter, don't you? He's like, hey, don't just wash my feet. Give me a whole bath here. Because Jesus is trying to get us to see and the apostles and Peter and all disciples that if we are going to be connected to Jesus, it begins with being cleansed through His teachings and through His words. His words are what produce faith. In Romans chapter 10, and verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God or Christ, as some translations might even say. Peter, as he writes in his own epistles, in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter, he talks about the Word of life, the Word of God. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and in verse 23, he says, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring Word of God. It is the Word of God that gives life. It gives cleansing to your life. It gives freedom and the forgiveness of sins. The book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, we see that it is the Word of God that gives power to the washing of water. In Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse 23, when Paul is writing about the relationship that Christ has with the church, and he is using that through the marriage illustration, with the marriage uh, of a husband and a wife and trying to get us to understand Christ's relationship with the church through that lens. He says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. And he goes on in verse 26, So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. Then it's the Word of God that gives power to baptism, to the washing of water, that God operates and He saves us, and it is God's Word that gives power to that. The teachings of Christ can clear out the weeds and the brush in our life. His words are the words of eternal life that have power over sin. And we must allow God's Word to work and to operate in our heart and in our minds. Peter, again drawing on that idea of allowing God's Word to work, notice what he says in 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, Therefore putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. That we have to allow God's work to do some serious cultivation in our heart. We have to allow God's Word to convict us to remove all sin, all wickedness out of our life. That is what God's Word is capable of doing, and we need to long for that. 
so that we can give it the proper nourishment for growth in our life. And God's Word is capable of doing those things. But we cannot have that life without God's Word. If we're going to have life with Christ, then we must be cleansed through His Word. That is how we are going to be connected to Him. We cannot be connected to Christ if we do not connect ourselves with His words. Jesus is very clear in John chapter 15 that every branch in Me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean, verse 3, because of the word which I have spoken to you. He says, you are starting off clear because of my teachings. If we're going to be a faithful disciple of Jesus, we have to be cleansed by His Word and we have to have an appreciation for what His Word can do in our life. And then secondly, we need to bear fruit. Jesus makes this abundantly clear in this passage. That we bear fruit and we have to be connected to Him. In verse 4, abide in me. And that word abide means to remain in. That you remain in Christ. Abide in Him. Abide in me, He says. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. There's not going to be any spiritual life outside of Christ and apart from Christ. And when we are baptized into Christ, we join Christ. In Matthew chapter 28, and verse 19, we are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are baptized into a relationship with Christ and with God. We must be connected to Him through baptism. We have to be connected to Him through His Word. And this is really what becomes the test of our sincerity and being a faithful disciple. It's through the fruit that you bear. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes the time to teach and to warn about false teachers that might come in. In Matthew chapter 7 and in verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. In this context here in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is really warning about the danger of false teachers coming in among God's people and having an effect in destroying God's people. In John chapter 15, it's the exact opposite point that Jesus is making about what it means to be a disciple. And the common thread in both of those is that you look at their fruits. You observe their fruits and you know whether they are true, whether they are genuine, whether they are sincere or not. False teachers do not bear good fruit. 
We all know someone, and whether they are genuine or not, by the fruits that they bear. Now, sometimes it might take more time for that fruit to be produced than in others. Some people certainly have more to prune away than others. But when disciples are connected to Christ and to the Word of God, they have life in Christ and they can begin to bear fruit. I made reference to the parable of the sower this morning. And Jesus uses that parable, the parable of the sower, to show the various kinds of soils that that seed might land upon. You'll remember that there is the wayside soil and it just is unable to grow. The rocky soil does not allow that seed to sprout and, and really get roots. The thorny soil has its life choked out by the cares of this world. And it's the good soil that bears fruit. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. And in the cycle of plant life and gardening life, producing fruit is how the plant reproduces. It's how life continues on. And the spiritual principle that we can see that Jesus is trying to convey to His disciples is that the life cycle of of disciples and the church It's just like the life cycle of plants. Disciples must make disciples. That if we are going to be a true disciple, then we need to be busy about the mission, about making more disciples. In Matthew chapter 28, in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, as Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Now, we have to be committed to that mission, to making disciples. We must bear fruit. We must go and make disciples. We must... Teach what Jesus says. The life cycle of the church is just like the life cycle of plants. Disciples must bear fruit. We need to be busy and working in the vineyard of the Lord. Then we must abide in Christ's love. Thirdly, if we are going to be a faithful disciple. We have to remain in Christ's love. Notice what Jesus says in John the 15th chapter. In John chapter 15 and in verse 7, He says, If you abide in Me, and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be My disciple. 
some of the hallmarks of discipleship that are being highlighted. Love for Christ, learning from Him, keeping His commandments, as we're going to see. He says in verse 9, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Keep yourself in His love. He says, remain in my love. In verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. When we do that, when we remain faithful, when we keep His commandments, we are Christ's disciples. We are also His friend. In verse 14, Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. If we want to remain His disciple, we must remain committed to Him. We must remain in Him. We must remain in His love. We must abide in His love. Abide in Me. That's not just a a nice idea. Jesus is issuing it as a command. It is an imperative. These are commands that we have a choice. We can obey or we can disobey. We can abide in Him and abide in His love, or we can escape and run away and flee Him in His love. Remember, whenever we mentioned the idea of Jesus teaching in Synecdoche, here Jesus is speaking about the love of God and His love for disciples to be the full measure of being a child of God, a faithful disciple. And He's saying, you stay a faithful disciple. It's a term describing our relationship, our fellowship, and our union with God and with Christ. It certainly does not mean that Christ is not friendly or unloving with people who are lost and disobedient. But it does mean that there is a special and a unique relationship that Christ has with those who are committed to doing His will, those who love Him and are keeping His commandments. And so, Jesus is trying to get us to understand what it is to be a disciple. And so He says that He is the vine. You are the branches. You just think about some of the disciples and the apostles that we read about. And as Jesus' discourse about the vine and the branches has been really a discourse about being His friend and a faithful disciple who has been cleansed by His Word and who is bearing fruit and who remains in His love. The apostles are really the first disciples, aren't they? They're the prototype of what discipleship is all about. You think about some of the disciples and the apostles. Which disciple of Christ are you most like? 
Judas, he was with the apostles even on that night. In John the 13th chapter, he was with Jesus when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. Can you imagine? Can you imagine just witnessing that moment, knowing what you know about Judas and Jesus? And if you were able to be a fly on the wall and watch Jesus stoop, wash Judas's feet. In John chapter 13, as Jesus was, in, was taking the Passover with His apostles, He tells them in verse 21, after He had washed their feet, when Jesus had said this, He became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray Me. Maybe you think, well, I'm not Judas. I wonder if Judas thought the same thing. <laughs> I'm not going to be that one who would betray Jesus. The disciples began looking at one another, it says in verse 22, at a loss to know of which one He was speaking. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of His disciples whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter gestured to Him and said to Him, Tell us, who it is of whom He is speaking. And leaning back thus on Jesus' bosom, said to Him, Lord, who is it? Jesus then answered, That is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to Him. So when He had dipped the morsel, He took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After the morsel, Satan then entered in Him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But the apostles remain very ignorant about what's going on here. Jesus is kind of speaking very vague terms. They think He's talking about going and buying stuff for the meal. And so when Judas leaves, they don't think anything of it. Judas would later that night betray the Son of God. He rejected the love of Christ. He rejected God's love. Judas would be a branch that didn't bear good fruit, that did not abide in Christ. Sometimes we might be like Judas more than what we would want to admit. Maybe we're more like Peter. Maybe we mean well, our intentions are good. Sometimes we just say things that we have foot and mouth disease like Peter did sometimes. But you remember on the night that Jesus was betrayed, it wasn't just Judas who betrayed Him. Peter denied Him three times. Are we like that? Yet what is beautiful about the Gospel of John is at the end of the Gospel of John, in John chapter 21. In John chapter 21 and in verse 15, Jesus gives Peter an opportunity to repent and come back and be restored. So, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
Jesus. He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all these all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. You love the, the three times that Jesus or Peter has an opportunity to re- affirm His love for Christ after denying Jesus three times. And it's interesting that Jesus is using the term love here, isn't it? Remember in John 15, abide in My love. Peter had stepped out of Christ's love. He did not remain in God's love. And yet he repented. He came back to the ever and always loving Christ. It's no wonder that repentance involves what we would call the fruit of repentance. I would venture to guess that many of us feel like we're Peter. That we have good intentions and yet we mess up. And we have to repent. We have to pray for forgiveness and come back to Christ. And yet, that's not the only picture of discipleship. In John chapter 15, or John chapter 19, rather, in John the 19th chapter, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, and in verse 25, therefore the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Would we be like Mary Magdalene? You could say the other two were family. Would you be like Mary Magdalene, who's there at the cross of Christ? She was a disciple. She was following Christ. Would you be like Mary? Standing with Christ, being faithful to Him, even in the bitterness and the sorrow of what that might require. Or the unnamed disciple who is there in verse 26, when Jesus saw His mother and the disciple whom He loved, standing nearby, He said to His mother, Woman, behold your son. Verse 27, Then He said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour the disciple took her into his own household. Would you be like that disciple? Where Jesus would entrust even His own mother to you? What disciple are you like? And while we might not feel like we're a Judas, we certainly hope we aren't a Judas. We probably are thinking we're probably like Peter. I hope we see Mary and this unnamed disciple as the kinds of disciple that we want to be, that we strive to be. 
who are with Christ and remain in Him and with Him even when it is hard, even when it's difficult. That is commitment. That's faithfulness. If you want to be a faithful disciple of Jesus, not cut off from Him and cast into the fires of hell, then you must be cleansed by His Word. You must bear fruit. And you must remain in Christ's love. In gardening, branches have life. They produce life with the fruit that they bear. They don't do that on their own. They do that because they are connected to the root or to the vine. As a disciple of Jesus, you have life. And you can help produce life because you are connected to Christ. And if you are not connected to Christ, you have an opportunity this afternoon to be baptized into Christ and become connected to Christ by being crucified with Him through joining the waters of baptism, having a death, burial, and resurrection all of your own. And if you are connected to Christ, but you've not been bearing fruit, you have no signs of life, or you have bad fruit, you need to allow God's Word to convict you. You need to allow the Gospel of Christ to change you. To remove the evil in your life and repent. Come back to the Lord. If we can help you in some way this afternoon, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?